Welcome to our Thursday night Bible study at Bureau Bible Fellowship. Uh, I appreciate you all coming out and people that are watching online. Uh, tonight, what we will be looking at is how Moses prefigures the Messiah, prefigures Christ. Um, I did this a series a couple years ago. It, it was called Christ in Every Book of the Old Testament. And we went through and we looked in, starting in Genesis, we went through every book, and there's something pointing to the Messiah, to Christ, in every book. And this is something is very easy to miss. And so what I chose to do today was I picked out Moses and how Moses is a type of Christ. Now a type, a biblical type is something, a person or an event, and, they have, and it has to be an actual person, an event, not a story, that represents something else. So in other words, Moses was a type of the Messiah, was a type of Christ. And the way we know this is that Jesus himself says it. It's in the book of Luke, it's uh, starting in, in chapter 24, verses 13 to 15. And um, before we get to that, let me open with a word of prayer, and, and then we will we'll get to the, to the study. Father, we thank you that we know you are a loving and merciful God that you reveal yourself in the scriptures to us and that we see your true character, your care for us, and especially tonight how you revealed that Jesus would be coming, that he would deal with our sin, and that we simply need to trust you and believe what you say. We thank you for this time together and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a handout right there. Okay, so if you remember, after Jesus was resurrected, he was in Jerusalem, and he comes up to these two men that are on their way to Emmaus, which is, I think, seven miles from Jerusalem. And they are, they're despondent because they thought this Jesus was either the Messiah of the Old Testament or maybe just a political ruler or something, but they were despondent. So Jesus comes up and joins them. And starting in Luke chapter 4, verses 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was that while they conversed in reason that Jesus himself drew near and went with him. So Jesus joined, basically joined them up as they walked along. And then if you skip to verse 25, then Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And now the key sentence here, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So there's two very important things there. Jesus is saying, 
all of the Old Testament concerns him. And he's also saying that Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament because he's saying that Moses wrote these things of me. And so that's, that's the basics of, of what we're doing tonight. Now, if you go to uh, John chapter 5, verse 46, this is Jesus again speaking. He says, where I, I just said a few minutes ago that Moses wrote this, wrote you know, the five books. And it doesn't say that in the scripture I just read in Luke, but it says it here, John 5, 46. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. So when you hear the skeptic saying, well, Moses uh, didn't write anything, well, he's saying either Jesus is wrong or Jesus is lying. And so there's really no argument there. So here's the promise. In Deuteronomy 18, 18, this is God speaking to Moses. He says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and you shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. So this is a promise of the Messiah. And again, that's in Deuteronomy. Now, there's all kinds of parallels between Moses and Jesus. Now, the first one I wanted to point out is 400 years of silence. Remember, when uh, Joseph took his whole family, all the, all the nation of Israel to Egypt, they were treated well as long as the, that Pharaoh was alive. But several other Pharaohs later, they didn't know who Joseph was and they were just worried that these Hebrews, there was too many of them and they might turn on us. So he made them into slaves. And they were slaves for 400 years until God raised up Moses. Now if you go jump to the time of Christ, you had all the prophets prophesying until Malachi, which is the last Old Testament prophet. And then there's 400 years of silence, no word from God, just like uh, with the Egyptians. And that's when John the Baptist just appears out of the wilderness. So there's both this 400 years of silence. Now that's easy to, to, to look at looking back in hindsight. You say, well, okay, God came and rescued them. But it's also instructive that if you lived during that 400 years, say if you were born 100 years into that 400 years and you live to be 90, you never saw God's rescuing you because you're in that period. So it's just a way to not be, if you, if you understand that, when things don't seem to be set right, like where is God, why isn't he doing anything? He's doing things, but he's doing it in his time. And you may and you may not see it in your lifetime. So that's, that's the first one. Um, Okay, so we're going to go down and pick some, and really this is just 
a partial list that I put together of how Moses and Jesus are very parallel to each other. Um, both Moses and Jesus were sent from God. They didn't just decide they were, they were going to rise up and do something good. Uh, if you go to Exodus 3, verse 10, this is God talking again to Moses, and he says, Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So Moses was particularly sent by God. Now, if you go to John chapter 8, verse 42, here's the parallel. Jesus says to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come from myself, but he sent me. So they were both sent. They didn't, of their own volition, decide they were going to rise up and take over or free God's people. God sent them directly. Now, if you're here and you have the handouts, I'm on page two. Um, both Moses and Jesus were Jews. Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And a man of the house of Levi went and took a wife and a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. That was Moses. That was during the time when Pharaoh said, if the Hebrew women have a son, kill him. If he has a daughter, let them live. Because he was afraid of them militarily basically he, he didn't want too many of the men to live so Moses was of the house of Levi which was one of the 12 sons of Jacob now if you go to uh, in the New Testament to Hebrews chapter 7 verse 14 it says for it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood when it says Jesus arose from Judah, Judah is, one of the, again, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So they were both from Jacob's loins. They were The promise to Abraham was that God would make him a great nation. So it was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons, and two of the 12 was Levi and Judah. So there's the parallel there. They were both born under foreign rule, which is kind of interesting. One thing you don't really hear that much, when um, Moses was born was in the time when the Hebrews were all in Egypt and they were enslaved during that 400-year period. Um, it's Exodus chapter 1, verse 13. They made their lives, the Egyptians, bitter with hard bondage, mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field. In other words, the Egyptians made them slaves. So the Egyptians are a foreign country, they're slaves. Jesus, in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. During Jesus' time, when Jesus was born into the world, the Romans uh, captured... The, the land of Israel, and they were under the Roman rule. So they were both born under 
foreign rules. Ne neither of them were born to a free nation of Israel. Okay, both of them were threatened by wicked kings. Exodus chapter 1, verse 15. Oh, this is when, uh, the, then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, telling them, uh, or the, the background of this is when the, the Hebrew women were going to have a child, they would have a Hebrew midwife to help deliver it. And so this was the instructions from the king. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew woman and see them on the birth stools, if it is son, you shall kill him. If it is a daughter, then she shall live. So Moses was threatened by the king, and that's when uh, Moses' mother saw that it was, she had a son, knew that he would be killed. Remember, she put him in a basket, put him in the river, and he was rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter adopted him, basically. So, but his, his life was threatened by a king. Now, when you go to Jesus, this would have been the time of after Jesus is born, the, remember the, uh, the, the Magi from the east, they come and they talk to King Herod and they ask King Herod, where is, where is he who was born king of the Jews? Now, King Herod is not interested in competition from some other king. And he instructs them to go, go find him in Bethlehem and when you find him, come back and report to me so he could kill him. Well, the wise men go to Bethlehem. They find Jesus. They give him the gifts. And they decide, we're going home another way <laughs> so they don't go back. Now, Herod is, is angry because this just foiled his plan. So what he did is he sent his soldiers to go and put to death all the male children that are in Bethlehem two years old and under. He figured, I'll get them that way. I don't know which one he is, but that, that will stop a competitor to be a king. So both Moses and Jesus had a, an evil king that tried to kill him. Again, there, there's the parallel. And this one, uh, I actually never thought too much about. Both spent their early years in Egypt. Remember, Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He was brought up as an Egyptian in the Egyptian court, so he's brought up in Egypt. Now, Jesus, after the Magi come and give the gifts to him, the very expensive gifts, an angel appears in a dream to Joseph and says, Take up the child and flee to Egypt because Herod's coming to try and, and kill him. And so Jesus' early, earliest years were in Egypt, just like Moses. Again, Moses is, is a type of Christ. That we, what we see is, is these parallels. And 
if you lived at that time, it would be very hard to see them. But again, you know, hindsight, when we see, when you put these events right next to each other, you could see this is Moses is revealing who Christ is. He's the type of Christ. Um, this is another one I'm not, wasn't that familiar with. Both were sent from a mountain of God. Uh, it's Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. And this is the, this is the, uh, the burning bush. But Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. So God comes to Moses in a mountain setting. In, for Jesus, it's Hebrews chapter 12, 22. He says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Mount Zion is Jerusalem. So if you are studying the scriptures, you'll sometimes see references to Mount Horeb, which is symbolic of the law. Jerusalem is symbolic of mercy and grace and the, the, the presence of God. And so mountains are parallel in, in both of them. Now this, I think this is really interesting. Both were initially rejected by the, by the Jews. They were rejected by their own people. And uh, this is not from uh, Exodus, but the, the best example is Isaiah 53.3. Speaking of the Messiah, you know, this, this chapter of Isaiah is universally understood as a messianic palm, psalm or prophecy about the coming Messiah. So it's speaking of the Messiah who's come. He is despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. So here's, here's uh, Jesus coming to his own people, and he's rejected by the Jews. And then in Romans eleven twenty five, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Now in Scripture, a mystery is not like we think of a mystery, like you know, the mystery show where you try to find out who, you know, who did what. A mystery in, in, in Scripture is, is an unrevealed truth, something that's always been true, but has not been revealed, so you don't know what it means, actually. He says, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So in other words, Moses, remember Moses was rejected by his own people. Uh, Moses, I believe, was 40 years old, raised as an Egyptian in, in the house of Pharaoh by Pharaoh's daughter. And at some point when he was 40 years old, up until then, he doesn't either doesn't know that he's a Jew 
a Hebrew or it was so unimportant it didn't matter to him. He becomes convinced that the Hebrews are, is his family, his people. And he sees a, uh, an Egyptian basically uh, beating on a, on a Hebrew slave. And so Moses runs over there, kills the Egyptian, and then figures out, oh, this wasn't a really good move <laughs> for my future. And that's when he, he fled. Um, and when he fled, he fled, he went to the land of Midian. Now, Midian is uh, outside of the promised land, and it is, they are Gentiles, and he was accepted. He became uh, part of the family there. And so Moses was rejected by the Jews, flees to the Gentiles, and they, they accept him as, as part of this family. Well, the same thing happens with Jesus. Uh, that when the Jews rejected him, remember Jesus went first to the Jews and they didn't want any part of what he was saying. Uh, he, he told them directly that he was the, the Messiah prophesied in the scriptures and they hated him. It drove him off. And what he said was, since you've rejected me, I will now go to the Gentiles. And all through the, the beginning of the church, the Gentiles come in droves to believe Jesus. Some of the Jews do, but not very many. And so they were both rejected by their own people, accepted by the Gentiles. And a Gentile is just anybody that's not a Jew. But they were enemies, and that's who he was accepted by. Um, both of them were shepherds. Um, Moses was tending the flocks on Mount Horeb when God came to him in the burning bush. And, you know, what does Jesus say about himself? How does he describe himself? I am the good shepherd. Again, same, the parallels are just there. You know, they're... Many, many of them. Uh, this next one, I actually didn't realize uh, that there was a parallel to it. Both fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. Now, we're all pretty familiar about uh, after Jesus was baptized that he went 40 days and 40 nights into the wilderness. So did Moses, which I really didn't know. It's, it's Exodus chapter 34, verse 28. Uh, he, it says, so, so he was there with the Lord, and this is talking about Moses, 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So while Moses is being given the Ten Commandments, he's out in... He's in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights, neither ate nor drank. When Jesus came, was in the, in the desert for the 40 days and 40 nights, 
what, is, what does Satan offer him? He offers him food and water because he had not received any of that. Um, again, very much parallel. And now, now we get to um, some really, really important ones. Both were mediators of a covenant of blood. In other words, let's look at Moses first. It's Exodus 24, starting in verse 7. Uh, and this is speaking of Moses. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. So that's, that's a covenant, an, an agreement, a contract. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. So a covenant sealed with blood in the Old Testament. Moses. And then Jesus, it's in Mark chapter 14, verse 24. Jesus said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many. So it's a good reminder, especially in our age where we are not, tuned to uh, sealing things with blood that here we have an example of in the Old Testament and the New Testament that sealing a covenant with blood is, is to die. And so, in other words, if you don't carry out the covenant, then, then you're going to die. But the covenant is sealed with blood. It's, it's like you know how back in the old days the kings would have the big signet ring and they would, when they wanted to seal an official memo or whatever, they would melt some wax and seal it like that. And th this is a seal. Once that seal is on there, it, it can't be undone. And so here we have a, Moses is, is the the blood of the covenant is, is the Ten Commandments. And now Jesus said, this is blood of my new covenant. And so again, there's the, the, the parallel things that we have. Um, now both of them offered to die on behalf of the sins of other people. Now we are, we are uh, certainly familiar with that about Jesus, right? Jesus came to die to shed his blood for, not for his own sins, but for the sins of those that God had, had given him. He, Jesus shed his blood for other people. Now, did that happen with Moses? Um, it's Exodus 32, verse 30. Now, it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin the great sin they committed while Moses was up for the 40 days and 40 nights getting the Ten Commandments, Aaron, the people got tired of waiting for Moses and they said, uh, let's, let's make our own God. And this is when they made the golden calf. So when Moses comes down off the mountain, this is what he comes into. And he says, so now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. In other words, Moses is speaking about atonement 
paying for the sins of others. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people have committed, <laughs> you know, uh, he must be frustrated that, that God has, has put him in, in, to, to lead his people out of slavery. And these people are grumblers and they want to go back to Egypt and they don't like his leadership. And you could just sort of hear it. He says, oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. In other words, Moses is saying, I am willing to be blotted out of the book of life, to die even eternally for you to forgive these people. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And notice uh, there's things about it that were voluntary. Moses had no, he didn't have to do that. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was completely voluntary. And also, it was not an easy thing to do that. Remember Jesus at, at, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he prays to to his father. He knows that this death is going to be horrid, but it's the only way to pay for the sins of others. And he prays, you know, Father, if there's any way this cup of judgment basically can pass from my lips, that's what I would prefer. But if not, I will voluntarily drink from it. And so you have the same thing. And in fact, he says, for this purpose, I came to this hour. Jesus knew what his purpose was, was to die for the sins of others. And he did it. Moses prefigured it by offering to die for the sins of the nation. Because remember, God had promised Abraham that he would make a great nation of him. It's, 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 Genesis chapter 12, I will make a great nation of you, which is uh, the Jewish people, and you will be a blessing to all the nations. In other words, God's blessings were not just to Israel. It was that through Israel, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And part of that blessing is the, the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament is a tremendous blessing to us that are not Jews. And so this is the carrying out of the promise. And again, um, I think it's in one of Peter's letters. He, he speaks about, it may seem that God is slow to carry out his promises, but he's carrying them out in his time. And again, you may or may not see it in your lifetime. It may be incredibly difficult for you. It may be incredible blessings for you. Neither of those, you know, God is not promised that when you come to him, you'll live this happy, blessed, no problems life, nor does he promise you're going to have this awful life. <laughs> uh, what he promises is that he will be with you and he will 
pay for your sins and you will be with him eternally. There's plenty of scriptures to talk about how we're, we're pilgrims in this, in this land that, that we're passing through, that this is not uh, our final thing of what happens in this world. Because, you know, you can look around and you can see the, a lot of bad things going on and they, bad things happen to us, good things happen to us. Uh, the, I want to say the longer view, the scriptural view is God is always at work. You know, if you look at it, even from the time of Moses, time of the Exodus, God is clearly carrying out his plan because all these things that Moses is like the Messiah means God has, has this plan that this is what's going to happen. But it's two or 3,000 years. Uh, but you can see him acting and carrying out his promises along the way. Um, this one I think is kind of interesting. Both their faces shone with the glory of heaven. Uh, it's Exodus 34. Uh, whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. What, what that's talking about is during the Exodus, they come out of Egypt. It's about a million people, maybe a little more, that's estimated. And they would, they would have to camp out in the wilderness. But God had given them instructions to build a, a tabernacle. And a tabernacle is basically a dwelling place of God on earth. And this tabernacle basically was, was a movable tent. God gave them the, the exact instructions of how to do it. And it would have a holy place and a most holy place. And, and, and it would be laid out. And so whenever they would camp, they would set up this tabernacle. And they would all camp around it. And Moses would go in to the Holy of Holies. He was the only one to converse with God. And every, whenever he would do that, when he would come out, his, his face shone. Um, it's verse 35. It's whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. So in other words, you know, he would come out and exactly how that is, I don't know. But that's why you see some old paintings of Moses. He would have a, like a, rain, a white kind of thing glowing over him or his face would be shiny. This is where it comes from. Um, because, you know, being in the presence of God is not just a... Uh, a, a simple thing. I mean, it's you're in the, in the presence of, of the creator, of, of a holy God. And the same thing happened with Jesus. After he's crucified, buried, resurrected, and we, we somehow we skip over this. Jesus is on the earth for 40 days. He's walking around. He's speaking with groups of people. He is uh, giving instructions to the apostles. You know, he, he's not some spirit uh, thing. He's, he looks and acts. He's a, he's a person. This is Jesus resurrected bodily. 
And finally, after the 40 days, he's uh, transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light, just like Moses. And then that's when he is taken up into heaven, and they're all, you know, they all see it. <laughs> and I think that's when the angel comes and says to the apostles, why are you standing here staring up into the sky? In the same way that he left, that's how he'll return. And so, you know, that's the promise at the end of the book of Revelation. This is how Jesus will return. He will, he will be transfigured. He'll, his face will shine like the sun. He will simply come down out of heaven. You know, he won't be like the baby in Bethlehem and kind of grow up uh, without anybody noticing him. When Jesus returns, it will be universal. Um, the last one I have is both were lifted up to heal their people. I don't know if you remember this. Uh, the, the people had sinned again while they were in, in, in the Exodus. This is Moses. And God has sent serpents to come and bite the poisonous serpents as judgment for, from turning from him. It, it's actually Numbers uh, chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. So Moses goes to, you know, to God and says, you know, please spare, spare these people. These are your people. <laughs> And then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was. If the serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So at first glance you say, what is this talking about? <laughs> what, what the serpent, the fiery serpent, that he's, he's to make. He's to make this out of bronze. It represents sin. And the pole represents the cross of Christ. So here, sin is on, on the pole of, of Christ's sacrifice. Everyone who looks at it, believes it, essentially is what this is saying, shall live. And those that don't, will die from the bites of the serpents. So this is the, the, the lifting up that I'm talking about here. And it's an interesting thing. The, um, the symbol today of the medical profession is what? It's a pole with a serpent wrapped around it. Now, wouldn't that strike you as odd? <laughs> but the, the picture of it is, this was how you were healed, by looking at your own sin on Christ's cross, you'll be healed. And the medical profession, maybe they don't quite understand, <laughs> that's what their uh, logo, that's what it means. And so this was how... Uh, the lifting up is what healed the people in the Old Testament with Moses. 
And, and obviously in the New Testament, it's John 12, 32, Jesus says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. So the lifting up of Jesus from the grave, from the earth, is what heals the people. Remember, because I, I think of it more of as being lifted up from the grave. Because Paul says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, your faith is in vain. It's pointless. It's foolishness. But Jesus is the only person that ever rose from the grave. You'll, if, you, if you think about it, all false religions that swirl around now and kind of forever, not a single one of them claims that their, whoever they think their God is, rose from the dead. You know, it's not like you have competing religions that are saying, well, my, uh, my guy rose from the dead, Muhammad rose from the dead, or the Hindu Brahmin guy rose from the dead. They don't even make that claim because they know it can't be proved. It, and yet we know that, that our faith is based on facts because after Jesus rose from the grave, he was on the earth for 40 days, seen, seen and heard by hundreds and hundreds of people. It's recorded in worldly history books. And so, you know, this is the, the core of, of our faith. And again, Moses with the fiery serpent representing sin is looking forward to it we can look back at it all of these we can look back at and see you know wow this is god remember the scriptures is god revealing to us who he is because there's no other way we would know these things and so as it's very easy unless you're looking for it to not see the Messiah in the Old Testament. In other words, when we're New Testament Christians, it isn't just like something new just happened right then when Jesus came. It's the culmination of what God had been revealing forever. And, you know, that's uh, what's really important. And so you know, we've got this list here on, the, on this last page. Jesus and Moses were alike in all these ways. They were both Jews, they were both leaders, prophets, lawgivers, saviors, teachers, priests. They were anointed by God. And I think this is one of the most important ones. He was a mediator between God and man. You know, Moses continually, as the people sinned and grumbled and wanted to go back to Egypt, he, had to, he would go before God as the mediator. Well, Jesus clearly is the mediator. The book of Hebrews spends a lot of time making sure we offer, we understand that. Both offered to die and, and did for the sins of the people. And so that's just one of the, one of the uh, hundreds and hundreds of ways that Moses is a type of Christ, and 
if you are looking for it, every book of the Old Testament reveals a person or an event that points to Christ. And it, it's very much like those, uh, those hidden picture things, you know, uh, drawing and there's an elephant in a tree over here and a lamb over here. And, you know, you don't see it. You can't, you can't see it. But once you see it, then you can't not see it. Uh, and so, you know, hopefully um, this will encourage us to look for that when you're uh, reading your Bible. Some Bibles are pretty helpful where they'll have little, uh, like a star next to a verse that's considered pointing to the Messiah, uh, which is helpful because it's very easy to miss them. So, um, you know, that's, that's what I have for you tonight. And, you know, hopefully that'll encourage you um, not only to look for these things, but to know that no matter what's going on in the world or in your personal life, that God's plan for his son to come was from eternity's past. And as he has the same, he has a plan for us. And while we're living it, sometimes it's hard to see it. And other times it's, it's, it's incredible when you see it happening as it's happening, that this is God blessing us. And, and that, that's the Old Testament <laughs> over and over and over again. So we'll, we'll stop at that point. Um, let me just close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for preserving the scriptures, for having it reveal who you are, that you are God who loves us, who has a plan for us, that you are God that judges and hates sin, and yet you provided a remedy for it in Jesus Christ. And we just thank you for that and, and pray that any listening that, that don't know Christ, would, that you would draw them for their salvation, that they would become part of your family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.